Well, hello, Chesney Alice Phillips. How are you doing today, dear? I am very good, thank you, Mother Dr P. How are you? I'm very good. I'm thinking that you might be slightly nervous. I am, because you very ominously messaged me and said, I have an idea for our podcast call. And I said, oh, what's going on? And you went, oh, my surprise this time, so I really don't know what's going on. Excellent. Well, you have to admit that last time, last week, you totally put me on the spot, didn't you? I did, and now I fear that you are retaliating. (gasps) Not exactly retaliating. I'm not going to be mean, I promise. And I'm not really testing your knowledge. I just wanted to have a discussion with you about something that I happen to think is fascinating. Something that I believe is talked about a lot. But I wonder how much people know about this thing, which is why I wanted to give you no chance to prepare to try and gauge exactly what average people, non-scientists, understand about the particular topic we're going to talk about. Okay, I quite like that. And it reminds me of, for our listeners, quite a while ago, mum was working on a blog called Body and Bones, and she was writing about different topics that people might not know a ton about. And oftentimes, she would come to me and say, Tess, how does... XYZ work, right? How does pregnancy work? How does food get in your digestive system? All these different things. And I would give a long elaborate, what I thought to be a correct answer. And she would go, oh, excellent. And I go, I got it right. And she go, no, not at all. (laughs) But it was great because that meant somebody like me who had a public school education who went to a great college. If they didn't know it, then there will be plenty of other people out there that don't know how it works. Exactly. You are my focus group of one. I'm hoping that our listeners can understand, can appreciate our relationship well enough by now to know that I'm not being mean to you if I ask you something and you don't know the answer. No, you're always very lovely. And also, you never then skipped off to go write your blog. You then explained it to me first. So you didn't just leave me wondering how any of that stuff worked. You were very helpful in explaining it. The question I'm going to start with then is, what do you think Americans spend about a billion dollars on every year? I'll give you a clue. It's related to health. Twitter health. Hmm. Part of me wants to say gym memberships because people pay a lot for gym memberships and they and it's not necessarily that you go a lot but they just roll over month to month. But billion feels way too high. Um That's a good one. Health insurance? Ooh, that's maybe too low. I don't know. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna give it feels like individually I've spent a billion dollars on my health insurance. <laughs> oh, oh, um supplements? Kind of one particular type so i'll give you a clue it begins with pro and ends in biotic (gasps) okay probiotic i can't even be excited (laughs) for getting that right because you literally just spelled it out for me so i thought this would be an interesting one to talk with our listeners about because probiotics americans and i'm sure people across many other countries in the world are taking huge amounts of these and i definitely see these in social media But I wonder if people really have a clear sense of what is a probiotic? What's it potentially doing for us? Why do we need them? So do you think this is worth talking about? I do, because they even have probiotic, or maybe it's prebiotic, but so does now. Well, can I just say, I love that you brought up prebiotic as well. And I promise people she didn't have a heads up on this topic. So yes, we're going to talk about both of those. Yes, well, I'm actually very excited about this. This definitely does not seem like the stressful hot seat I was envisioning. (laughs) 
Excellent. Well, normally we'd start off by talking about the word that's got pre in it because pre means before and that's normally a good place to start. But in this instance, we're actually going to talk about the probiotics first for reasons that will hopefully become clear later on. What do you think of when you hear the word probiotics, Tess? Well, my first thought would be professional biotic because most time when I see the prefix pro, it's for professional, but I don't think that's right. So probiotic, maybe like pro meaning good. Yeah, let's go with that. Absolutely. Pro means, it's Latin, I think, or Greek, I forget which now, for, as in F-O-R, as in I'm all for that. You know, I'm pro something as opposed to being anti-something. And biotic really comes from, and again, I think this is Greek, life. Probiotic, therefore, is a word that somebody came up with that literally translated means for life. Positive thing for life. Okay, so... Pro-life. So I'm assuming then that these probiotics are supposed to make you feel better or enhance your life? Absolutely. And it's interesting that probiotic really when translated doesn't tell you anything about these agents it just tells you that we think that they're good for you they're pro-life but really when people refer to probiotics what they're talking about with perhaps without realizing it is that they're eating bacteria. For the most part, they're eating them. There are a few other ways of taking probiotics, but the most common way of using probiotics is to eat them. And they are capsules or foods which are full of bacteria. Or like a yoghurt. A yoghurt's an excellent example. Any others? Cottage cheese. Good one. I only actually knew that because on on TikTok, there's a a lot of people like, you should eat cottage cheese either before or after a workout. I can't remember which one. Oh, might have to look that up. So that's interesting. I was only surprised because... I always think that cottage cheese is a food that doesn't seem to be known to many people. So yes, things like cottage cheese, yogurts, kombucha, if we've heard of that one. Pickles. Oh yeah. yeah. Ooh, I like pickles. Most of these foods, as well as certain supplements, have bacteria in them. And the key is that the bacteria need to be alive. So they're they're having a little party in there. Well... They're having a little party in the food or the capsule. And then what do you think we want them to do when they get inside of you? Have a little party in there. Yeah, we'd actually like them to have a bigger party. Oh, we want them to multiply. We want them to invite more friends. You're absolutely right. Go with the first part of that. Okay, We we want them to multiply. We do. We do. We want them to multiply. And the idea behind this is we assume that the probiotic that we are ingesting albeit the food or the supplement, we're assuming that the bacteria within that are the kind of bacteria that we want to have more of in our gut. This also, and then I'm assuming the gut microbiome, that all ties in together. Brilliant. So the gut microbiome, that's exactly where I was going to go next. So you tell me, what, what do you understand by the term microbiome? Biome? I don't know why, but I think it's like a environment. Or like a collection, because I feel like in, when I did biology in high school, we were looking at different groups of cultures. I don't know, that could be wrong. The way I'm envisioning it is the probiotics are like the little minions, and then the gut microbiome is like the big dome party that they're going to. You know, that's pretty good, really. I might just tweak that a little bit. And I like the idea of thinking of the biome as a dome, and inside the dome is everything. So a good way to think about it is that a biome could be something like, let's pick a jungle. So a location, a place where there's lots of stuff going on. If we talk about the gut microbiome, we're talking about really all the space within the gut where there are small things, micro very small things. Gut microbiome, 
there's space inside the gut, your intestines, where there are very small things. Do we have a gut macrobiome or just a microbiome? Oh my word, I don't know. Um, or would the macrobiome be like your entire body? Hmm, that is a great question and I'm actually going to Google it. Look at that, education in real time. Oh, <laughs> well, it says, do you mean microbiome? <laughs> So I, can, I think we can take that to mean no. Okay, but I love that thought. Because normally, where there's a micro, there's a macro. Yeah, I was thinking microeconomics and macroeconomics. Exactly. So it was a very, a very smart question. And unfortunately, incorrect. At this time, who knows, in five years' time, perhaps we'll have discovered one. Love it. Okay, I'll, I'll keep my eye out for it. All right, so we've got the gut microbiome, which is really... Everything that could be inside of our gut, and when we talk about the gut, normally we're talking about the intestines, um, small intestine, large intestine, if you remember those from biology, but we could add in the stomach as well. It's a bit of a vague term, the gut. And the micro just refers to little small things. In actual fact, the most correct way to refer to the bacteria is to think of those bacteria as living within this place, the same as the tigers, the elephants. We're going to now show up my lack of knowledge of the jungle. What else lives in the jungle? George. Anything? Get George of the jungle. Brendan yeah. Fraser. I got it. <laughs> Anything else? Um, Mowgli. I'm trying to think of the characters from the jungle book. There's tigers, gorillas, snakes. If we call the jungle the biome, then all of the living things that live within the jungle, they make up what's called the biota. Okay. Strictly speaking, we really should talk about the bacteria that live in our gut as the gut microbiota, and they are living within the microbiome. But you're going to hear people say the gut microbiome and the two get used interchangeably. I just wanted to put that one out there in case people see biota and biome and wonder what the difference is. Gotcha. So like biota is the more correct term, correct. biome is the more like used one. I think that's probably true to say it that way, yes. So how big do you think the gut microbiota is? What do you think it weighs? Mm, a pound? I think that's heading in the right direction. Could we multiply that by about three? Three pounds? <laughs> Who said you didn't love math in school, Tess? Hey, hey Mum, it's a science podcast, okay? Let's not get crazy here. We're not doing math. Please, no. <laughs> yeah, so about three pounds, which is, I think, mind-blowing. All the bacteria, trillions of them, trillions of bacterial cells that we have and some fungal cells as well, they weigh together more than the heart and kidneys. Yet for the longest time, we've ignored them. Now, are they sitting in a little sack in your stomach or are they like spread out? That's a good question. And I think the answer to this displays why we've ignored them for a long time because they're not all collected together in a little sack where when we were dissecting humans we'd spot them and go oh what's this sack here full of bacteria oh let's investigate that so no we have some bacteria in our stomach and small intestine not that many but we have an absolute ton the majority of the three pounds is going to be in our large intestine okay so no gut sack but a potential collection in the large intestine yeah no stomach sack because we're going to use this word gut to mean sort of everything really from your stomach onwards okay so, that's also good because gut sack sounds a bit like nut sack doesn't it <laughs> well your grandmother's listening test she might be appalled okay so we've got this three pounds of bacteria which are spread some in our stomach some in our small intestine but the bulk of them in our large intestine and why are we living with three pounds of gut bacteria tests what, what do you think they're doing for us why have we put up with them all of these years? Because I think bacteria gets a bad rap and we put up with them because it actually 
not like I think people think of bacteria as in germs and you're gonna get sick but also I know that you need a certain amount of exposure to germs right otherwise you know they say that it's good for kids to go out and play outside and stuff because you get used to these different bacteria so I would assume that means because they're actually doing a good job of maybe protecting you Well, you're absolutely right in that not all bacteria cause disease. In fact, most bacteria are not disease-causing bacteria. And one of the very useful things that they do is they take up space and they use some nutrients. They steal them out of our food. But by taking up space and using some of those nutrients, that means there's less space, less nutrients for disease-causing bacteria to thrive and multiply. So they're basically taking the seats in the auditorium away from the bad guys? They are. The seats and what else do you get in an auditorium? The popcorn. And that's probably what we've known about for the longest. But turns out, and the list that we could talk about here is almost endless, but we know that they do things like digest, help us digest our food. Without bacteria, we wouldn't actually be able to get so many of the nutrients out of the foods that we eat. They help us produce certain vitamins which also then leads to us being able to clot our blood and although we think about blood clotting sometimes in a no somebody's had a blood clot that they shouldn't have had if we don't clot our blood when we need to what happens to us oh we have haemophilia and we bleed out yes we could bleed to death so that's um pretty dreadful really so helping us to clot our blood appropriately helping us to it keep those pesky bad disease causing bacteria at bay helping us to get the best the most nutrients out of our diet those are fairly straightforward things we may have heard of some other actions of the gut microbiota in recent years have you heard about anything else that people are now thinking our gut bacteria might influence oh our weight our weight yes so there's a lot of discussion about whether people might have a particular combination of bacteria different bacteria living in their gut that means that they look at a donut and put on five pounds or that they can eat five pounds of donuts and not put on any weight and so they they now think that that's significantly influenced by the gut microbiome well there's mixed evidence and i'll put in the show notes a couple of references that talk about this there's some research that seems to suggest "Mm, that doesn't influence our weight and there are quite a few other pieces of research that seem to suggest yes the types of bacteria that you have living in your gut may markedly affect whether you put on weight very easily or whether you don't because I, I remember reading a while ago about a woman that needed a fecal transplant and her daughter was overweight and her daughter donated the fecal matter for the transplant and then the mother had a really hard time after this fecal transplant of controlling her weight. They thought that there might have been something to do with, I guess, the gut microbiome or the bacteria that changed her gut microbiome. Is that right? Yes, I read that exact same article and... It was very interesting and certainly the woman told a very compelling story of being someone who prior to whatever it was, some kind of surgery or illness that wiped out her gut bacteria, prior to that she was somebody who had no problem maintaining her weight. She lost her gut bacteria which does happen for instance when people go on long-term antibiotics and that's when they might have a faecal transplant afterwards and in having that faecal transplant from her daughter who she said was somebody who'd always had trouble keeping her weight down at a certain level. The older woman, the mother, then talked about having the same problems as her daughter subsequently. It was a compelling story of course that was an n of one okay we use that term when we're talking about research studies n is the number of subjects and 
it, this is only this woman's story. And as we so say, that mean it's anecdotal. Is that what they would say? Exactly. So it's a very interesting anecdote. And there's a lot of work on mice that really suggests that changing the microbiota may well influence our ability to regulate our weight. The evidence in humans is a bit all over the place still. So is that why they say like you should eat antibiotic-free chicken and you shouldn't go on antibiotics necessarily? Is the main reason for that because it can potentially wipe out this very important gut bacteria? That's an interesting point. I think it's true to say that we don't know when we eat a chicken that's been raised with antibiotics, are those antibiotics being passed along through the food chain? It's also the case, though, that the more antibiotics that are given out to society, the more we are causing a problem of antibiotic resistance, where more and more bacteria are becoming resistant to our antibiotics, and that's a very scary situation. That's how you get super chlamydia, right? We talked about that back when you were doing your blog of somebody who had chlamydia that was resistant to all the antibiotics, basically. Yes. Well, I was reading the other day that it's estimated at the moment that about 30%, 30% of all UTIs are now resistant to almost all antibiotics. UTIs, sorry, urinary tract infections. So then how do you get rid of it? Well... We've got one or two super-duper antibiotics left in the the medical armoury, which are normally kept in reserve for really serious infections. And the potential disastrous situation now is then these urinary tract infections will become resistant even to those, and then we're in a whole heap of trouble. Yeah, that's not good at all. It isn't, and I'd love to talk more about this, but I'm a bit mindful that we ought to perhaps get back on track. Quick summary so far, we've got having good bacteria reduces the likelihood of you having a bad bacterial infection. They're doing things like producing various vitamins that we need, and that's actually super important for things like producing the clotting factors that we need to make sure we don't bleed to death. They're also doing things like helping us break down our food stuff so that we can actually get more nutrients out of the stuff we eat. What else did we mention? Oh, sorry, weight. They may play a role in helping us to maintain our body weight at a weight that we're sort of happy with. Anything else you've heard about, even very vaguely, about the possible influence of the gut microbiota? Actually, I don't know. Um... Anxiety and depression? This is really interesting stuff. The wall of our gut, the wall of our intestines and stomach, tons and tons and tons of nerve cells. We think of our brain and our spinal cord as being the nervous system, but you've actually got more nerve cells in the wall of your gut, in the wall of your stomach and your intestines, than you have in your spinal cord. That's very surprising. Yeah. Perhaps it's not so surprising then when the evidence is starting to suggest a connection between the gut and the brain, the brain and the gut. The gut is communicating with the brain and the brain is communicating with the gut. And what we think, or what some research shows, I should say, is that the bacteria that we have living in our gut may influence that conversation between our gut and the brain. That's really interesting because I always I've heard before people say that depression can be a result of a chemical imbalance in the brain, but I've never heard about anything imbalanced in the gut. Yeah, well, for instance, we know that the gut produces two neurotransmitters, serotonin, which you might have heard of. It's the one that people take Prozac to raise their levels of. So serotonin, dopamine, I'm sure you've heard of dopamine. Yeah, a lot actually, because as we might have discussed in here before, I have ADHD and uh, dopamine is a big part of that. It turns out it's not actually nerve cells that are producing most of the serotonin and dopamine in the gut. It's bacterial cells. So theoretically, can you lessen your 
depression, anxiety, ADHD with a better diet with more probiotics. Oh, if we were together right now, Tess, I'd give you a great big kiss. <laughs> Thanks, mums. <laughs> You're welcome, dear. Um, absolutely. That is what people are now starting to investigate. How much of our brain disorders are emanating from the gut? And that's just a fascinating possibility. And imagine, imagine if we could come up with a way of changing the microbiota, which would reduce people's anxiety and or depression. How fabulous would that be? Okay, so, I mean, I'm pretty on board. This sounds like it's quite promising in that it could help with your weight. It could help with a whole host of like these mental health things. So my question is... How? Are you supposed to just take a supplement? Do you have to get your, your own gut microbiota tested? Ooh, that's a good question, isn't it? Hold on to that thought and let me ask you a question. How do you think normally we know what's going on in somebody's gut? How has most of the research been done on the human gut microbiota? I would think if it's your gut and like a lot of the stuff is in your intestines, they maybe look at your poop. Yes! Look at your poop! <laughs> God, uh, I did sound ridiculously excited about that, didn't I? But, okay, I'll dial it back no, down. That, that actually makes me excited because I remember when we had to dissect owl pellets at camp. Owl poop, essentially, and it's got little bones. And I'm only now realising that I was essentially dissecting the owl's gut microbiota. You're familiar with this idea, then? Well... You could see the little bones in the owl poop. You wouldn't have been able to see the individual bacterial cells. But yes, you were looking at poop. And what you were gaining from that looking at the owl poop was some insight into the owl's behaviour. Well, when people have examined and made assessments of the human microbiota, they do it, for the most part, by looking at what comes out in the poop. Can you imagine any problems that there might be with doing it that way the smells a bit <laughs> apart from that scientists are very good at masking up and you know ignoring these sorts of things um well my, my other thought would be you could probably ascertain a certain amount from the poop but also at that point it's already like passed through the system and come out so it's not necessarily showing you what's like actually going on live i don't think i really could have said it much better than that yeah we are making a big assumption that for instance, if 50% of the bacteria in your poop is bacterium fred, scientists have tended to make the assumption that that means that 50% of the bacteria living in your gut will be of the type bacterium fred. And that's not necessarily true. We don't actually know that. It might be that fred is actually really good at anchoring itself into your gut and actually, 95% of the bacteria in your gut is the type bacterium fred, and only some of it makes its way out into the gut. The other thing is that bacteria that do well in your large intestine, which is where we said that's a lot of our bacteria, those tend to be anaerobic bacteria. Does this word ring a bell from high school? Oh, it does. Okay, so tell me more. Okay, let's hope I get this right. The, the difference is you're in an aerobic state when you're getting oxygen to your heart or something. But I know that anaerobic is the one where you're huffing and puffing. But is it because your muscles have to start pulling from something else? or? So I liked your analogy there, Tess, and you're absolutely right. That when we're working aerobically, that's typically when we're going to be doing an activity that we could keep on doing for quite a while. It might be going for a walk. It might be going for a run. 
gentlemen it might be just sitting on the sofa but it's something where our breathing can give us enough oxygen to complete those activities when we're working anaerobically that's the i've got a sprint for the bus situation and i'm huffing and puffing we're absolutely using oxygen but we also have to use some other biochemistry some reactions that don't use oxygen and that's our anaerobic pathways a or an comes from latin and means without if you're apolitical what does that mean you're without political beliefs yeah you're not bothered so anytime for our listeners you see a biology word that's got a or an in front of it think without anaerobic literally without air i think that's like asexual is without interest great example so anaerobic bacteria these are bacteria that thrive in conditions where there's no oxygen and that's what we find in the large intestine now as soon as these bacteria come out in the poop and they're going to be surrounded by oxygen we live in an atmosphere that's 20 percent oxygen so now these bacteria are in an environment which is not good for them so what do you think might happen to them they get in trouble what's the worst kind of biological trouble end up in begins with d death so again we're looking at the poop and we're making the assumption that what we see in the poop reflects what we see in the gut and that's not necessarily a safe assumption and one of the things that we have to do with the bacteria in the poop to really ensure that we can see them that we've got enough of them to identify them is that we have to grow them in culture we have to grow them on petri dishes did you do that in biology in school oh yes yes and also like last week i left um a little bit of coffee in my coffee machine and that quickly became a petri dish oh brilliant example so what we can say about that then is that whatever was growing in your coffee cup is some kind of microorganism bacteria or fungi in actual fact that likes oxygen that grows well in oxygen because obviously your coffee cup is left out in the atmosphere well the difficulty is with these poo samples is that the bacteria that love it in your large intestine they don't love oxygen they may well not grow in the petri dishes in the lab and so they may well not get identified because if the scientists can't grow them can't multiply them becomes very difficult to identify them so these are just a couple of examples of why looking at what's in the poop might not give you the best information as to what's actually living in the gut so is there another way to find out what's living in there or are we sort of always using our best guess that's a great question and yes you can take samples from inside somebody's intestines pretty difficult to do that in most situations so that that's a whole different type of clinical trial it's much more invasive you're going to have smaller numbers of volunteers to do that and most of the studies do not typically involve putting needles into people's intestines and grabbing pieces of their intestines so you can look at the bacteria so if your regular person listening to this podcast is thinking oh I really like the sound of these probiotics. I think I need to figure out what's going on with my gut microbiome and what I can do. There's not a ton of options for them to see what's currently going on in there. Are there a couple basic steps that are kind of encouraged for everybody? That's exactly the question that I would have hoped you would have asked me. Yes, it's true to say that if you're buying probiotics from Amazon, it's a stab in the dark. You know, I'm going to take this probiotic, which is rich in bacterium, Fred. But, you know, I don't really know if I need Fred. I don't really know. The case isn't really proven that bacterium Fred is a great guy. So taking probiotics like that, the evidence just isn't really there yet that can match a particular probiotic supplement to a particular deficiency, a particular disease. 
we just don't have the evidence yet that says we all need to have more of X and having more of X will be good for this aspect of health. That research is not there yet. There are definitely hints, but that research is not really conclusive yet. But what really does seem to be pretty well established and what really seems very unlikely to cause you harm, so therefore is worth a try, is to change your gut microbiota by changing your way of eating. Not by adding supplements, but by taking those yogurts, pickles, kombucha, fermented foods, using kimchi. Kimchi, exactly. All of these fermented foods and foods that have live bacteria in them is really considered to be a good way to move your gut microbiota in a positive direction. And it's not going to cause you any harm. Most of these things are pretty universally accepted as being good for you. Okay, so a good step might not necessarily be to go on Amazon and order a million different prebiotic supplements. It might be to just try adding foods like kimchi, kombucha, cottage cheese, all those things you said into your diet. Yes, absolutely. So the one thing I'm going to tweak there is that you... Oh, I said pre instead of pro, didn't I? You did, but that's actually absolutely fine. Now let's just touch on that then. So the probiotics... That's our bacteria. We're taking them in a capsule, which I'm suggesting probably isn't as good value as taking the bacteria with then probiotic foodstuffs, fermented foods, those pickles, those kombucha, the kimchi, the yogurt, the cottage cheese, stuff like that. So that's our probiotics. Now, prebiotics that we mentioned right at the beginning of all of this, rather delightfully, prebiotics, when you see the word pre or the prefix pre, what does that mean? Before. Love it. So prebiotics... This is a term that has been coined to mean literally before life, as in something that we take beforehand to ensure good life. Prebiotics are not bacteria. Prebiotics are foods that good bacteria enjoy eating. And the idea then is if you give the good bacteria the good stuff, the stuff they want, then those good bacteria will survive and then they'll do all these useful things for us. And the handy thing about prebiotics is that these tend to be foods that we can't digest. So we can eat them, but we can't break them down. But our good bacteria go, oh, yummy, fiber, yes, please. And that's really what we're looking at. Prebiotic, best types of prebiotic agents would be fiber. Interesting, okay. 25 to 35 grams of lovely, lovely dietary fiber every day. You're going to get that in unprocessed fruits and vegetables. That would be probably the easiest way to get it. Going to get that in things like oats, legumes, beans, those kinds of things. Okay, so this actually is quite nice because you don't have to pay for super expensive supplements. You don't have to pay for some really fancy test. What you actually should just do is add a bit more of these foods into your diet, which are probably good to have in your diet anyways. I think that's what we're saying here. Pretty much if you look across most dietitians, nutritionists, websites, if that's what you're interested in, you're going to see that almost everybody is going to be recommending that we eat more plants, for instance. And when we eat plants, especially when we eat them raw, oftentimes we'll be getting both the prebiotic and some probiotic benefit. Because when we eat alive things, and we definitely get bacteria with those, and when we're eating things that are rich in fibre, like plants, then we're getting the prebiotic agents as well. So more natural foods in their natural state, fermented foods. And then one thing that we could really try and avoid, and again, this is not really going to surprise anybody, so this is not controversial, but perhaps the only surprise is that we're going to link this to the gut microbiota. What do you know about ultra-processed foods, Tess? 
not very good for you because it's taken out the good stuff, right? Like, isn't it? They're really lacking in nutrients. Yeah, so we're talking about things that they're on the supermarket shelf and you look at the sell-by date and it says will last for the next 10 years. And then you look at the ingredients and you think, wow, I don't recognize any of those ingredients because they're all chemicals, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's probably a more scientific way of listing out ultra-processed foods, but that would be a good start. We had been thinking that these ultra-processed foods are just really no good because there's a lack of nutrients in them. But now the research seems to be tying these ultra-processed foods to affecting our gut microbiota in a way that may be not good, that the chemicals within these ultra-processed foods are actually leading us to have the type of bacteria in our gut that we don't want and less of the type of bacteria in our gut that we do want. Again, that's still tricky because it's still not entirely sorted which bacteria we want to have more of in our gut, which ones we want to have less of. It's also not entirely clear if I need to have the same microbiota as you, for instance, for good health. But to the best of our knowledge, it seems to be that these ultra-processed foods, apart from lacking in nutrients, also are changing our gut microbiota in a negative way. And there's some evidence, for example, that the more of these ultra-processed foods that we have, the more inflamed our gut gets and when our gut gets inflamed it starts to get leaky and that leads to all sorts of ill health problems okay very interesting to sum up for me tess and i think you did it already really but from all of our conversation here if you were going to do something with your diet related to this what would you go away and do I would just add in more fruits and vegetables, fibery stuff for that prebiotic stuff. But the probiotic would be the cottage cheese, the yogurts. Oh, actually, if you get a yogurt and you put fruit in it, that's a double whammy, right? Love it. So really just, I mean, kind of just eating healthier, but specifically with those kinds of things as opposed to adding in like meats or whatever. And granola bars, things like that, things that will survive a nuclear war probably not so good maybe the longer the shelf life the less good it would be for you i think that would be a good way of doing it so if i was going to eat and again this is our best guess at the moment and if we work with something that we are pretty confident isn't going to cause us any harm but might well benefit us that seems to me a way to view this but i'm thinking about gosh i promise we're not being sponsored by them but is it the lara bars that have three four or five ingredients and they don't have any chemicals in them I think that is one of them because I think that's the thing sometimes right is that you get a granola bar thinking it's healthier than a chocolate bar and it actually ends up being just as bad at which point I'd rather just eat the chocolate bar personally I'm with you on that one Tess so I think we've got it and as always we're not trying to give medical advice it's just little stuff that might be helpful to add or change or things that I would have come to you and said do you think I should be eat a bit more yogurt and you're going yeah probably is fine for you you know we're not actually like diagnosing or prescribing anything no and we're not suggesting that people rush out and take anything that isn't readily available and that isn't actually considered by most people who know about diet to be part of a healthy diet anyway yeah i think that's the key thing here is that these things are good anyways it's not like you're taking a big gamble that dr gundry says something about smoking cigarettes he thinks it's fine it's like well that's a big gamble because if you think it's fine and then you do it it's not that's not great whereas this stuff is good anyways 
Exactly. I don't think there's anybody apart from Stephen Gundry who doesn't think we should be eating more fruits and vegetables. Well, I love that, Tess. Thank you for indulging me. I think you did brilliantly. Thank you. It's actually really fun to talk through it live on air, I guess, because it is something that if you'd have asked me to describe it in one sentence, I wouldn't have been able to. I didn't understand it, really. But by working through it, it's, oh, this part makes sense. And oh, yes, I can see why that makes sense and so on and so forth. Well, I think that's enough from us for today, Tess. I think it's time for, ooh, probably a piece of fruit, actually. Yes, I have some oranges in my fridge that I have been avoiding looking at, and now I'm going to have to just start eating them. Righty-ho. Next week, I promise not to drop any nasty surprises on you. You're right, Mum. This is actually very pleasant. I'll allow it in future. <laughs> All right. Take care, sweetie. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. And as a reminder, our conversation here aims to pass along some interesting science and help you develop your sciencey thinking muscles. Neither of us are medical doctors or any type of healthcare professional, so we're absolutely not providing medical advice. You should see your medically qualified professional for that. And whilst all content provided is given in good faith, based on the scientific knowledge base available at the time of recording... If we misspeak or further research changes our understanding or that of the scientific community, we'll try our best to make any necessary corrections, either in a future episode or in our show notes. See See you next time. time!